Good evening, everyone. This is John Thornton. Bernetta Williams. Jesse Kohler. And today we're going to discuss coping with grief. We have Barbara Smith, who is working in the mental health department, and we're going to discuss what is grief. Let's start off with that, Barbara. Thank you, John, and for the introduction. So um, I think the best way to start it off would be to define what grief is, the difference between grief and loss. Grief is basically the reaction to a loss. The loss is an event. So basically what we're talking about today is how we respond to a loss. And that doesn't necessarily um, have to be a death. It can be a loss of a limb. It can be the loss of a loved one, of course. It could be the loss of a pet. It can be the loss of anything significant. Now, can you help me understand what the process of grief is? How can people indicate that they're grieving? Well, it's different for everyone, okay. for starters. Um, typically, and, and you know, John and Jesse, I've spoken to you too about this. Kubler-Ross is an author that is uh, very well known for the five stages of grief, um, which are denial. Initially, you're in denial. No, this did not happen to my loved one. The second thing is anger. It's natural to get angry. The third thing is bargaining, which means, no, this really couldn't have happened. Oh, yes, it did. Now what do I do? How do I deal with this? The fourth thing is depression. We all know what that looks like. And then the last thing has to do with um, basically accepting the loss. And it's not a linear process, which means you don't have to go steps one, two, three, four, five. You can fluctuate and go one to five. You can be angry, then depressed. Mm -hmm. So it's not linear. You can go through the steps or what I call phases through um, the course of life. Is, is it sort of a constant or consistent process throughout life? Is there a timeline? I know that a lot of people want to say, when, when will I be healed? Very good question, Jesse. So my response to that is yes and no. With each of us, it's different. However, regardless of the loss, if it impacts the individual who is grieving for um, an extensive period of time, um, depreciating their quality of life, that becomes an issue of what we call complicated grief, which is not the typical type of grief and loss process. So you have to go through it. My mother always taught me, you'll never get over it, but you can get through it. And she lost two sons. So that's how I look at that. And that is pretty much the process. You know, you have to go through it. There's no shortcuts. Take home point, no shortcuts. You gotta do the time. You gotta do the time and that will heal. The important key to keep in mind is supports. Spirituality is huge. Mm -hmm. If you have a spiritual um, higher power, you know, and you pray, you will receive, and, and, and I'll, I'll tell you straight out, you will receive a significant release. Supports, human supports, gotta have them. Family, friends, anyone, pets are big. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you something? Because sometimes like when I'm going through a breakup or I lose somebody, one thing I do as far as grieving is I distract myself. Would you say that that's a healthy mechanism or is it an unhealthy mechanism? Because what you're saying is you have to go through the grief. Should I take a moment to assess the situation and go through the whole process or should I continue to distract myself? Process? It's okay to get distracted. Okay. It's healthy to get distracted. It's healthy to get angry. Hmm. You just can't stay in that place. So if you get distracted and you realize you're distracted, that's a healthy position to be in. Hmm. Your brain is saying, look, I need a break. It's sort of a commercial during a really bad, scary movie. So, you know, yes, it's natural to get distracted. What are we... So, I guess, how does this look on a day-to-day -day level when someone's in the process of grieving? What, again, we, we said that there isn't really a timeline. It depends on the person. Um, but while they're in going through the stages of grief or mourning, what is their day-to-day? -day? How does it impact like, them? 
um, again, so it'll be different from person to person. It's based on the relationship, the rapport of the survivor versus the person, and I'm, we're talking about death in this case. Um, so it, it's going to vary what it can look like with kids, because we all work with kids here, you know, with Northlight. Um, it's going to come out sideways. They're going to be angry more often than their normal anger. They're going to be sad, a little bit more sadder than their normal sad. They're going to look a little different. They're going to sound a little different. They may be more quiet. Um, they may be the complete opposite of what they normally are. So what we need to recognize, especially in kids, is a difference in personality. And that's okay. That's grieving for them. They don't know how emotionally to say, I'm grieving, Mom. I'm grieving, Dad. So what you're saying is that typically when a child is shutting down or if a child is acting out, it's because they might be going through the grieving process and parents need to be aware of what's going on with them. And as you said earlier, grieving isn't always death. It could be losing somebody, and loss could be losing a parent as far as them detaching themselves from the situation or losing a loved one as far as them moving away and not being able to see them. That's right, John. Can I also add? Um, also, is it also um, now that we are in the summertime setting, the kids that are not in school anymore, I know that was really big for me in the summer was not being able to have those parent, I mean, those teacher relationships as well as those friendship relationships. So I did, I used to go through a kind of a grieving process in the beginning of the summer until I could find out where I was going to go or what I was doing to occupy my time. Is that really similar? Yeah, I mean, it, absolutely. So what I like that you're bringing up is it's not necessarily a death. It's the relationship change. You're going from one environmental setting to another community setting. And you're not gonna see the folks who you've seen all this time. And maybe you know them better than your own parents, because a lot of times that happens, especially in you know, our fields where we work with kids who are um, you know, unfortunate positions and um, deal with, with different things, maybe single parent families. So yeah, it's exactly like that. It's a, it could be a limb a loss of a limb, a loss of a relationship, even though, like you're saying, you're gonna come back maybe next year, maybe not. But that's three months, let's just say, of not knowing what to do, who to go to, where to go. Mm -hmm. You know, so absolutely. It's, let's say that we're the perfect childcare providers, which of course at Northlight we we, we are. Do our best. We are exactly. that. Northlight is that. Um, so we are that. <laughs> so we recognize that a child is behaving differently. What we're we're not therapists, right? Um, what what's the appropriate steps to take when we see a child like that? Good question, Jesse. So um, unfortunately, you are therapists by default when that situation happens. So you have a child that is going through something where there is some type of loss, bereavement, grief, what have you. You are that person's main person right then and there. You're on the front line. All you can do is try to promote a response. What's going on? Why are you feeling so sad? If he's acting angry, that's just fear inside out. Anger is fear inside out. I always tell my, my folks, if you put a D in front of the word anger, what do you have? Danger. Danger. So that's what a lot of the kids do. They, they do dangerous things because they're angry, but it's really fear. And think about it, you know, after this podcast and anyone listening, think about your own life. When you're angry, you're really afraid of something, and that's legitimate. So when you deal with that child, just back to your answer, you want to just acknowledge whatever he's saying. I see that you're angry. It's okay, but can you tell me why? What you want to be careful of is not the anger, but how it comes out. He's allowed to be angry, but he can't be jumping through windows. Okay? So, how does grieving affect someone's daily life? I think you touched Yeah, we just, we just asked that question. Yeah, we're, we're, that was a pretty comprehensive response, I think, um, unless you need any more clarification, we're good there. Yeah, um, 
and then we got to the next one. So how how can a parent tell if their child is grieving? And I think you touched on that earlier. Mm -hmm. I kind of lumped everything in, knowing you're going to ask me these questions. No, that's good. (laughs) Good thing I'm not getting paid by the hour here. (laughs) We're paid at all, for that matter. But um, (laughs) it's good to be here. So what's going to happen here is you're going to see a kid respond differently depending on three. The reality is three different things. Frequency, duration, and potency. How frequent did this person, and we're talking about death, know the individual how um potent how important and i'm saying potency meaning you know how valid is this person in the individual's life Mm -hmm. and duration meaning how long so the big thing is is it harder for example to lose a child who's one years old or an adult child who's 50. Mm -hmm. one you don't know what they could have been the other one, you raised them for 50 years. So the best thing I can tell you, and it's a little off your topic here because we're that's going, you know, we're going out of order, and that's fine. Is more important to say, you know, where am I? What can I do? How do I feel? Do not compare. Never compare a loss. So, for example, John, Jesse, if you're going to tell me about a loss, and then I say, well, you think that's bad? How about my da da da? No. There's no comparison because each of us recognize our loss individually. And no one will understand it. They can accept it, but they're not going to understand it because they're not you. Right. Bernetta, you're jumping to say something. I was going to say something. Um, just bringing it up and mentioning the comparison of loss, um, this podcast really came out because of an interesting conversation that me, Jesse, and John were having about losing or grieving a friend a loss of a friend and it was interesting because it was kind of a comparative topic but of course all of us went through different grieving processes and it's yeah um it just made me think about that and wonder what the what the correct response is to someone that grieves or is talking about grief um, my friend has been gone for, her birthday is actually coming up June 24th, um, but she has been gone since her 20, 20th birthday. Um, and so it's just, and now it would be over 11 years that she's been gone, but it's still just as fresh as it was as mm-hmm. if she left because the potency of the relationship exactly. and the connection that I had with not only her, her family, we made friends together so it just made me think about uh, a number of different things and ways to to um, talk about grief with other people but not compare the grief with others absolutely um very good validation bernetta the the thing that I, so it's funny doug my, my friend uh he would be 25 on thursday so the 13th was his birthday um, and it's pushing 10 years since he right. passed away. Um, what is the difference between, so you talked about the duration of the relationship, but Doug was my best friend since I was mm. was either three or four. So how does it also impact if, say, it was only 11 years that Doug and I were you know, best friends just because of the limitations of time and life? But That would be up to you. So that's why I'm saying comparing is very different. Frequency, duration, potency, just like you said so well, Jesse, it all comes into play when we lose someone. So when you've been friends since four years old, he's pretty much who you grew up with, who you knew. I mean, my conscious memory, it's the whole thing. He's a part of you. You know, he, in a sense, um, maybe your best friend or, you know, whatever, but he was a part of you, and now he's not. That's severed. So whether you knew him from back then or a brief, tight relationship, it's going to depend on you. It's going to depend on the grieving individual. How, how normal is it to feel like you're still connected to them in some way? Absolutely 100% normal because you are. I believe we were not put on this planet to just make friends and then zip away. No. Everything, at least in my eyes, and this is my personal and professional opinion, 
um, clinically is all about love. You know, when you love someone, they're never leaving. You might not see them. They might be going home. It might be different home than you're used to. And, and we'll all reconnect. We'll all reunite. So that's my response. It may be different to someone listening, uh, both of you, th all three of you. Um, but yeah, it's an individual response. That's why grief and loss is a difficult type of thing to approach in a general spe uh, spe spectrum, yeah. Absolutely. It's subjective to the individual. Sure. Um, yeah, I feel like we're kind of getting to a more important conversation than necessarily the questions that we had lined right. out. Um, so um, my thing is this, how, after you've gone through the grieving stages, right, and I was talking to somebody about this, what qualifies you as being depressed versus a depressing moment? Going Very through a depression versus a depressing moment. Uh, awesome, awesome question. So depression and grief are two totally different things, although they mimic each other. Mm -hmm. A depressing moment can be any moment where you're depressed, just like it sounds. Mm -hmm. Grief is um, the same way. Mm -hmm. The difference is depression diagnostically has criteria that needs to be met um, and we go back to the frequency duration and potency so to be clinically depressed there are certain criteria that needs to be met according to the dsm-5 which is like a, um, a manual for mental health disorders mm -hmm. grief on the other side is a natural response to a loss mm -hmm. it becomes complicated which is also a diagnosable um, disorder in that DSM. Complicated grief is not normal grief. Complicated grief is when the grief process is elongated. It lasts longer than, um, let's just say it should, and I don't like the word should, but let's just say it, it affects your quality of living to the effect and to the point where you're not living at your maximum capacity. That's complicated grief if it's because of the loss. Other, not other outstanding environmental circumstances, but you're so preoccupied and compensated by the loss of that person, a limb, a pet, a child, whatever. So when that happens for longer than a normal amount of time, which we won't get into, because then we'll be talking clinically, and I'm sure, although I'd love to do it, I don't think you guys <laughs> want to get into that. So that's what complicated grief is. Right. Just for the record, I would be interested in the clinical stuff if you want to go there. But we don't have Brunetta just for the rest. Sorry, we can have another conversation. That's my sometime. baby. That that's the next yeah. uh, podcast. Okay. Go ahead, you first. Um, so this just uh, resonated something with me. So when I lost my friend, I was in the military. So my friends and family live in Philadelphia. And so my military station was in Mississippi. So once I came back here to visit with the family as everyone was grieving, I was then I was then at a place where I didn't have that connection to talk about this grief with anyone because I was then thrown into another scenario or situation where I had to toughen up and put on a different armor. So as John said in the beginning, as far as distractions, I was naturally distracted because of my job mm -hmm. <clears throat> and needing to um, uh, be there for the job that I had to do. And that made me think about families and parents that although they may grieve or grieve a loss of someone or something, then they have to turn around and do the same parenting job with their kids and then how does that affect the community in that household and like how does that affect that, that that family well I think you have firsthand experience with that and you're right Burnett I mean coming from an environment where you're expected to be a protector the security guard the tough girl and coming home and having to cry is um, something that according to you, you didn't feel comfortable with, but it would have been okay. It would have been okay. And if your family can't accept it that way, then that's a whole nother podcast. But really, it's okay. 
to not put on that persona because of your training, because you are who you are. God made you the way you are, the way you are, the way you will be. He put your head and heart in two different places for a reason. Mm -hmm. So you use your logic where you can on the base and you use your heart where it comes into play back at home with your loss. Say? Okay. I have a question. What tips would you give to a parent who's dealing with a child who's grieving to help them cope with grieving? So number one, it would depend on the age because of, again, how I said it comes out sideways with different age groups. And adolescents, God bless them, they're going through puberty. Their hormones are out of whack. They don't know how to act when they think they do, as we all know. And of course, they know everything, which we don't. So whenever you know that type of thing happens, you got to what I call roll with it. And that means whatever they're going through, you roll with it. You don't tell them they're wrong. Feelings can't be right or wrong, by the way, guys. They just are. Feelings can't be right or wrong. They just are. So when a kid is acting out, which we tend to call it that, that's their way of expressing because they, they are unable or skilled enough to say, so mom, dad, I'm currently grieving the process of my little brother who has passed away and as a result, I'm having these external breakdowns. A kid's not gonna say that. He's gonna freak out. So that's what we gotta do. We gotta bear hug them and say, it's okay. It's gonna be okay. And you never make promises you can't keep, but you never lose hope. And you promote that in them. Bear hugs are so important. I just wanted to say that, because there were times that, I mean, like in my brain, so just to go off of how you're not going to be logical, you're just going to, when I was going through tough stuff, and even still sometimes it pops back up, but not as extreme, but I literally felt like I was going to die. And like, mm -hmm. I, I just didn't know what else, I didn't know what I was feeling. It was just this intense fear and anxiety and like my heart felt stuff mm -hmm. and my head felt stuff and I didn't know what it was. And it was just, there's nothing that anybody could have said. That's it true. It was just... I, I remember the moments when someone was there to just put their arms around me and make me feel like I was, it, it like made me feel like I was still there. Right. If, if I wasn't getting that touch, then it was like I could have been a spirit or ghost. It was like there, there was nothing connecting me. Well, remember one of the, well, the initial stage of grief is feeling numb. Okay. The initial phase is denial and part of denial is feeling numb. This could not have happened, whatever the it is. So you're right, Jesse. I mean, that's what you're going to feel. And then when that physical tan tangential touch occurs, it sort of brings you back to base, if you will. So it's very important. Touch is very important, but then you got to be careful with that too, especially in our field, you know, and with kids that are not our kids. Bear hugs, huge huge. They're very important with kids who are um, basically, I'm going to keep saying acting out. I don't know what nomenclature today is, but uh, misbehavior, you know, but yeah, very important. Touch is very important. Let me ask you though, let's say a child is grieving and they don't like to be touched. They don't like to be held because you do get circumstances where children, they don't want that physical connection. What does the parent do in that circumstance? He or she, the parent, has to recognize when that limitation comes into play. Okay. So if this child, for whatever reason, and probably a very good one, does not want to be touched, you don't touch him. You don't touch him. You just work with what you got. What's he saying to me? What is she referring to? What does he mean to say? What is really going on? What happened just before this interaction? something triggered it and that's where you want to start dr bruce perry has something that we learned in one of the professional developments that i'm taking but it's the three r's which is regulate relate and reason and it has to be in that order kind of like you're saying because if you're trying to talk logic with a child while they're dysregulated it's just not going to connect. As he says, you're in the limbic part of your brain, the mm -hmm. emotional response, mm -hmm. which again, isn't right or wrong, but it's just, it's emotional. I hate to say it, irrational almost, or emotional might mean. I don't mean to say Yeah, so thing, the limbic system has to do with an emotional response, and it's such a tiny little piece of our brain. It's the size of the amygdala, which you're talking about. See, now I'm amygdala, going to get clinical. I word. love it. <laughs> you try to spell it. But it's so it's the size of a, an A-M-Y-G-D-A-L-A. 
Yep. Amy glowed up. <laughs> Look at him showing off. He looked right. up limbic yeah. system before the. Yeah. yeah. So if Diane Wagonhalls is listening, thank you. There you yeah, go. go Way to go, Diane. <laughs> um, yeah. So that tiny little thing dictates your emotional response, and depending on how you behave, your potential future. That's why a lot of folks are in jail. They respond in an unhealthy manner that had them be emotional to the point where they went a little further than they needed to, got caught, and probably don't even remember it. And the reason why I keep going back to children is because I understand that concept. However, tackling it early on is the best way to try to get the child to be fostered in the right way in the future so that way they aren't having a situation where they're acting out because they can't control their emotions and wind up in jail. For parents, um, we've discussed like warning signs and everything. In situations where parents are trying to get a child help, what avenues should they go down with trying to get their child help with grieving? Okay, so again, that's going to depend on age because after a certain age, 14 in the state of Pennsylvania, um, a child can sign themselves in for treatment without the parent even knowing if there's a DNA drug and alcohol history. Okay. Mental health, it's a little different. But either way, the kid needs to, the parent needs to recognize that the kid or the child is going through something. You don't want to throw him into treatment if it doesn't appear like he needs it. Okay. You don't want to bring something up that isn't or hasn't become an issue. When it becomes an issue, that's when you bring it up. So you're right, John, about um, trying to get a jump start on things. But you don't want to jump start a car that doesn't need to be jumped. Okay. You see what I mean? So when when the battery juice is low, you go get a jumping cables, right? Right. You get treatment. So that's the best advice I can give you for that. Okay. Do you know what specific like facilities or where they can go to get the treatment? So there's so much out there, so much out there. Of course, everyone wants money. Um, I would say for the podcast here um, and for our clientele, um, a good resource is SAMHSA. SAMHSA. Yeah, so that's... Um, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services yeah, Administration. And I'll give you the um, actual phone number is uh, 1-800-662-HELP. And they'll deal with anything. And they deal a lot with suicides, which is the second leading cause of deaths with children. Accidents, number one. Suicides, number two. Guess what number three is? Homicide. Homicide. For, for teens. And this is based on stats from the CDC um, from 2016, which is current. Um, another good, so the first resource you have is SAMHSA, S-A-M-H-S-A helpline. And that's 1-800-662-HELP again. The help next is 4357. I'm not going to look all that up. No, it is. Just, oh, okay. just so that way the believe listeners Believe Jesse. 4357. I believe Jesse. Jesse is our leader. The next mm -hmm. one is kidshealth.org. Kidshealth.org. Okay. Kidshealth.org. And then the last one, focusonthefamily.com. I'll say all three again. Um, the helpline, you have 1-800-662-HELP. The second one, kidshealth.org. And the third, focusonthefamily.com. And they all deal with the adjustment process and, and coping and how to work through this because you never get over it. Right. You can get through it. So no matter what therapy, whatever treatment we're going through, we won't ever get over these moments. It's just getting through it. Well, if you get over it, then you are the master counselor <laughs> and therapist and will be underpaid either way, right. but good for you. Now, it, it, when you really have a grief and loss issue, you're grieving and losing that person. Not to deny ever being reconnected, but you've lost a piece of you. And that's a void that can't be filled, but it can be patched up and pampered. Okay. And that's all we're trying to do. Can we talk briefly about the concept of what I've learned? It's called post-traumatic growth, but I'm sure that there's a dozen names for it. But where as you work through a grief, a traumatic incident, something like that, you, you grow through the experience. Somehow you become more, whether it's you take on the purpose of the person that you lost, et cetera, et cetera. How, do, how does that kind of work, again, in the long run? Well, that has to do with um, it's, 
it's comparable to PTSD, even the acronym itself. But um, again, I, I have to go back and say it's not linear. So the growth process of grieving is not going to be first you're going to be in denial then you know you're going to go through this phases and land in acceptance it's going to fluctuate it's going to be circular you're going to see that through your life so you only know if you're doing it the right way if you start to feel better and you shouldn't feel guilty about that a lot of people feel guilty because they feel better especially when the seasons change yeah. it gets nice outside but why am I not happy and that's number one time people commit suicide, by the way, because they feel like the rest of the world is getting along. It's beautiful outside. Everyone's working. Everyone has money. I have the same, but I'm not happy. Mm. I'm not even content. In fact, I'm depressed. And when it hits despair, that's when we're in trouble because mm. that's a horrible place to be. And that's what people who suffer grief and loss go through. They go through a stage of despair, even though I didn't say it that way. Okay. So the, the top three killers, I, I can't get over the fact that you said this because I hadn't heard it. So it's mm -hmm. accidents, mm -hmm. homicides, and suicides. Suicides, second. Sorry. Homicides, third. Based on CDC 2016 report. And you always want to ask, where'd you get the resource? Because I could be like blurting stuff out, which I do, but I won't hear it. <laughs> How, so the CDC, which we can trust. So these are all preventable deaths. Exactly. Which is traumatogenic in and of itself, mm -hmm. right? It, it's one thing to cope with a loss that is unavoidable. And there's, it's not to say that one's better or worse than the other or harder or easier than the other. But when something happens that suddenly, um, you know, not a, a few months ago, there was a girl not far from the center who was actually, sh I, I believe, shot or beaten by her father to death yes. before he took his own life. Yes. And how that impacted me, everybody in the community mm -hmm. center for a few days. Sure. And then, you know, there's kind of a collective grief and a collective loss that people kind of go through. Um, I don't even know exactly what the question that I had on my mind was, but can you speak a little bit to that? Well, I think you're bringing up the a comparison. I know what you're, you're saying there, Jesse. Thank John, you. stop making fun of us. <laughs> the, 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 Burnett and John just laugh at me. I know. I'm like, I'm wordy and I, I don't know. What I do about. know where you were going. So what's the difference between an immediate death and one that was lasting a long time? Somebody that's shot and killed, like you're saying, or... Um, Which is the top three killers of children. There you go. As you're saying. I am. Third. Yeah, third. Um, Second and third. Well, it could be one, two, and three. Exactly. Yeah. So what is worse, the immediacy or the long, drawn-out death? And again, we go back to never compare. Right. Mm -hmm. You can't compare. Because what does it have to do with? Frequency, duration, potency. How familiar were you with this person? How much did this person love you? And maybe you not them. How long did you know them? And to what capacity? you know, and everything in between. So it, it, the immediacy or the long-term, which is worse, don't even go there. It's selective, it's subjective, and it's relative only to the individual. So that brings me to a question about grief classes or like a group session with grief. I would love to be in a class like that being as though I've um, my biggest trauma or grief trauma was my loss that happened over 11 years ago I would love to to be in a room with people that have some level of the same not the same some level of grief that they want to talk about so that I love how you just caught yourself there you just said the same and you realized you were comparing mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. sorry to cut you off, but I wanted to acknowledge you there. Very yes. good. Um, so with grief that they want to talk about. So there is an awesome group, and I got a shout out to my mother, Helen Smith, right here, because she is instrumental in educating her family, including me, about a group called Compassionate Friends. Compassionate Friends it does an awesome job at dealing with families loved ones who have been in um, the situation you're talking about. And, and even though you're being vague, I can tell you 
they're familiar with it. And they have chapters all over um, Pennsylvania and probably uh, the East Coast, if not further. Yeah. Sounds like you already know about them. Yes, and I got really excited when she said that because I actually remember in my elementary school, we had Compassionate Friends. And it was a great, it was an amazing group. It was a counselor, her name was Miss Donardo, and she was just amazing, just allowing kids to grieve. Mm-hmm. And it was really that, I mean, we were, my elementary school was on Temple's campus, it's still there, Dunbar, and so she would take us to the lunch trucks, and it would seem like a really, really exciting time, but people that were dealing with long-term grief, uh, such as myself, because I lost my grandmother um, at a very young age, but... It was amazing. It was a time where kids can really be in the room with people and not feel ashamed or feel um, judged because they cry, because they want to express themselves with anger or they want to express themselves with high emotions. And it was an amazing program. So I really, yes. Still is. You saying you lost your grandma made me think of a question. Uh, The question I have is, in regards to the parent, because even though you're grieving and lost your grandmom, your mom must have been grieving as well. And I want to ask you, is it okay for the parent to show the child grieving, their grieving process, or should the parent withhold the grieving process from the child, their grieving process from the child? Beautiful question. Difficult to answer. Way to put me on the spot, John. <laughs> okay. Um, but basically, it, it boils down to the relationship between that mother, in this case, daughter, for you. So um, it really is, again, subjective. How, what is your relationship like? It's okay to show emotions. You're both allowed to cry. You're allowed to cry in front of each other. You're allowed to hit each other in a safe way if you have to to get the anger out whatever whatever it takes you can do so long as the two of you are on the same page so it is a good question and it does vary and it's a very difficult position for both parties to be into Mm -hmm. involved in because both want to be protective of the other while grieving their own individual loss of that loved one Do you think it's good that they grieve together? Absolutely. Okay. That's why we, you know, funerals typically, um, despite common belief, funerals are not for the person who died. Mm -hmm. They're for the survivors to pay respect to the survivors of the deceased. So when you say, oh, I don't do that, not you, John. I'm looking at John. I'll look at you, Jesse. (laughs) When we look at someone and and we say, oh, no, I I just don't do that, that's sort of a selfish kind of approach. And, you know, I struggle saying selfish. But a funeral is really to respect the loved ones who are surviving the deceased one and saying, hey, I remember when your dad did this. I remember when your son did that. I remember when your cousin was here for me. That's what it's all about. And you don't forget that stuff. Yeah. You don't forget that stuff. And you don't know it sometimes until the person passes. Mm -hmm. I actually want to mention, so um, recently I had a friend of the family. So my family is really big and we have friends outside of our family. And, um, I got a phone call that one of our friends of the family passed away, and I immediately had a picture flash of him through my head constantly, and a conversation that I had just flashed, and I was like, I really wanted to cultivate that relationship a little bit more. Um, I just wanted to have another relationship, a conversation with him, Um, but just seeing that picture just going through my head, I was like, wow, it's so immediate. And I posted something on my Instagram page that said, schedule Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Grief is not on the schedule. You cannot schedule grief in. It happens, and it will continually happen throughout our lives. It's just the ways that we deal with them. So I appreciate you saying that about funerals and it being you there for the survivors. Mm -hmm. Because although this was a friend of the family, I wasn't really, really that bonded with the family as far as blood goes, but I can be there to be supportive. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate Absolutely. that. Yeah. I mean, the dead guy doesn't care. He's in a happier place than us. Trust me. You know, um, but the family all around, the friends all around, and the people, you don't know who they are. 
that are around. They all have some type of significance to that deceased person in some way, shape, or form, or they wouldn't be there. Who's going to get dressed up to go see a dead body if they're laid out? Um, you know, someone who's being, um, you know, laid out or whatever your spiritual interest is and in, in, in the ritual, which, which I want to say, rituals are very important. Funerals are very important. Grave sites can be very important. It depends on the individual. Certain cultures grieve the loved one for a week, don't eat, dress in black. They do nothing for one week. And that's how they, you know, express their grief and loss, just being a member of the family. So um, all these things come into play. Bernetta, you're right. Mm -hmm. It is. It's about reunification, support, and just letting people know, hey, let me tell you something about this guy that you don't know. It's awesome stuff. It's beautiful. I think that's really beautiful that you share that and put that that way because my perspective is I used to stay away from funerals because I couldn't deal with the death. But I think that it will be helpful to a lot of people who are dealing with family members who they lost and maybe have children who they're saying, let's not take the child to the funeral and have the child stay home. Maybe they should bring the child to the funeral and maybe be a part of that ritual. I always thought that was interesting. I I always thought that it should be left up to the child to for their decision if they want to go or if they don't want to go. Um, but, you know, everybody has their own way of dealing with grief. And explaining grief to children can be the most hardening for someone that is closest to this person that's deceased. You're right, Bernetta. And there's a way to explain the loss of a loved one to a child that is not scary. Um, I can't recall the movie, but John Travolta was in it, and he explained death by showing a fruit, apple. And he said, this fruit is made to nourish your body. Mm. It grow it's planted, it grows, it's watered, it's nourished. It turns into this beautiful colored item, a red, passionate apple, and why not eat it and enjoy the fruit? Partake in the beautification, if you will. Because if you don't, it's just going to wither away, drop, and nothing happens, right? So there's a way of explaining to a child um, what death is and where that person may be going or not. You know, you just have to be careful how you say it and, and who you are. I mean, you want to say it as a significant person because trust is very, very important when you're talking about death. Mm. It will make the impact that's going to be probably a lifelong memory, that discussion. I can think of one where when I, um, when I found out about Doug, it was, uh, I was at camp. It, his plane collided with a helicopter when my dad got home from work my whole family was on the couch mm. and they called me um, and I was beside myself and I just I remember my dad's voice and what he was saying I remember there were uh, those orange like marshmallow peanuts in the room I don't remember why I remember that so well um, but as he talked through how you know, I was asking, you know, is there, have the bodies been found? Is there any way that they're alive? Bodies hadn't been found, and there was hope in me, and my dad was, not maliciously, because, you know, Doug's dad, who also passed away, was my dad's best friend. Mm. And so, you know, there were multiple levels of grief going on. And he was just like, you know, instead of letting me have that hope, not because he didn't love me or didn't want for me to have hope, but he just wanted for me to be realistic. He was like, uh, now they're they're gone. You know, the crash was thousands of feet up. The bodies haven't been found, but they're gone. Mm -hmm. And that memory, I mean, like you said about your friend with the picture that comes up, mm -hmm. I can picture, I mean, so much stuff about the room that I was in, the, the events leading up to it. It's just interesting how that memory in and of itself, and that memory is kind of a happy one because it lets me know how much my dad loves me. It's like the saddest memory in the world, right? But that part of it is Absolutely. support and love, like you were saying. And that was your brain distracting itself 
because at that point when you heard that news, you were on overload. Same thing with you, same thing with you, John. You know, when you hear that, you remember certain things, you have these flashes, you know, and they can come and go at any time for the rest of your life. But that's how your brain manages stress when we're on overload. That's why we dream at night. Mm -hmm. Our brain's supposed to shut down and whatever it's supposed to is keyword here supposed to and 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 when we have bad dreams that's just combobulated stuff getting out it's the toxins if you will getting out it's just unfortunate we wake up tired but you got it out of your system (laughs) but yeah that's what those are those are flashbacks and memories where your brain took over where your body couldn't so do you have something you want to say to us where were you going to go? No, I was actually going to start going back in my day. And I think this is a good time because we all kind of touched on little parts of our family and that we, or somebody we lost and who was significant to us. But I think it's a good time to talk about back in our day. So the topic is back in my day. And what we're going to do is acknowledge somebody we lost and just give some type of memory that is outstanding that you want to share with everyone. So who wants to start? You want to start? Okay. So earlier I was crying, right? And I was um, thinking of my best friend, Vince. And honestly, I went totally blank as you all were talking in my Mm -hmm. head. Like there were moments throughout this conversation I really did go blank just because he did keep popping in my head and I did keep thinking like this segment's gonna come up I'm gonna have to talk about. Mm. And we used to have a lot of fun. And one thing I wanna say is I did something really stupid and I made a lot of mistakes with not caring about him and appreciating him as the great friend that he was at the time. And I haven't made that mistake with my friends after, but back in my day, I was very careless. And I wish I could take that back now. But one thing I do now is appreciate everything he's done. And I will always appreciate everything he's done. And now I hope to be in his, I mean, I am in his mother's life to keep his memory alive. And that's just one thing I wanted to acknowledge, just like back in my day, I did some stupid mistakes and I can't take them back, but what I can do is just learn from my mistakes and move on from them. Um, Yeah. And look where you are, John. You know, you're promoting the epitome of goodness, of love, of loyalty, dedication. You're doing all that. You're helping his mother. So maybe you had to go through whatever it is you label a mistake which is really a learned lesson, not a mistake. There's no such things as mistakes. And maybe you had that learned lesson to be where you are now. So I want to thank you for that mistake. No, well, thank you, Barbara. You helped me like, get through this a little bit. Sure. And time is the most important thing you can give anyone. Yeah. Time is the most valuable thing you can give anyone because nobody can take it back. I will say this, though, to anybody who's listening, if you have the time, especially with people who you're battling with, if you had a loving moment with them, it's important for you to make amends. I really found that in this relationship. All these inconsequential arguments, they're, like, so trivial, especially when you lose somebody and just try to make amends to whoever you're battling with, especially if you love them at some point. But I'm sorry for not recording. You're fine. Um... No, um, yeah, so back in my day, and I, I've lost some very significant people in my life. Um, two of them were when I was in the military, my grandmother and my best friend. Um, but the one person that I want to talk about today, and it's very significant to the podcast and to today's date, was my aunt Loretta. I lost her on June 11th. Um, It was five years ago, Mm. and she was a beautiful spirit, just a wonderful soul, and the memory of her was that she used to go to the doctor. She she had lupus for a very long time, and I didn't know that. I didn't know what lupus was, actually, and that was the disease that my friend Kalima had as well, which sent her body into other complications as... um, that contributed to her passing away as well. 
But my aunt had lupus, and she used to go to the doctors, go to the hospital, and one of her doctors told her that they needed to cut on her brain. She said, no, you won't. She said, I'll let my father heal my brain. Leave my brain alone. And so it was a lot of things that Barbara brought up today, like the spiritual connection, and she was just that. She was so spiritually connected. I knew when she told me that she was leaving, Basically, so she was in a nursing facility, and she called me, and she said, keep doing what you're doing. And it was a feeling that came over me that I knew that I wasn't going to talk to her again. Mm. And that was it. It was like her signing off. And it was just, just a wonderful feeling to know that I got that, like a validation of the work that I'm doing, the things that I'm doing for people, and just to keep doing it. And it was just a wonderful feeling. So I always love my auntie. She always brought me back to the fact that we are not here to last forever. We all have an expiration date. And that goes back to the point of the apple perishing. Mm -hmm. We all have an expiration date. So that's my... And happy birthday to your aunt. Yes. She's in a much better place than we are. And I can't say... I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you'll see her again. And you know what? That's awesome what you just said, Bernard, because she must have felt okay to go because she didn't have any more unfinished business with you. Mm-hmm. She settled it right then and there, and she knew you accepted it non-verbally. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, it was wonderful. Don't hide them yeah. tears. You gotta show them. That's My big crocodile yeah. tears. Yeah, we, we brought out the tissues. They're in the middle of the table here. Is that going to be enough? <laughs> what about back in your day, Barb? Uh, my days, way, uh, back when Jesus was wearing sandals. That's how old I am. Um, so I lost two brothers. Um, one was a murder, and the other drowned in a hurricane. And, you know, very tragic, very quick. And I've dealt with that through the course of the years and became the person I am um, partly because of that. So, you know, when you see pain and suffering, it's like all of us because we're in the same field. I keep saying that to want to help other people. And when we do that, we feel good. It's sort of a selfish profession, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <It> is. <laughs> so, you know, you know, my thing has always been as a sibling, that's a sad thing to have happen. As a mother, my mom, 94 years old, how can she manage that? And the answer is family and faith, just like you were saying, Bernetta. So that keeps people intact. It keeps them strong and right on the right path because it's so easy to take one exit and then you're in no man's land. Mm. And that's where we see a lot of our kids you know be one of those three items that we talked about accident suicide homicide so that's mine jess uh so back in my day i I guess that there's so many things that i could say about doug and danny um i am overridden by memories of them almost constantly um i i guess that the one thing that i don't normally talk about and Again, I ask the question of whether or not it's normal to think that they're still there. Um, Is everything that they still are to me? Because, you know, um, I've struggled with my religion, my faith, my spirituality at various times over the last 10 years, probably longer. Um, But Doug and Danny have become sort of godlike figures to me. Um, even though I was born and raised Jewish, obviously I've heard of God and the Son of God being Jesus. And there are so many ways that I, again, that spiritual connection that I kind of filled in the blanks with these characters that I knew and loved. Um, you know, I, I couldn't help but think of Danny as this, he was just so strong and in shape. You always saw him running. And when he wasn't running, he was working. And when he wasn't working, he was coaching or being a father. And he was just great at everything. Mm -hmm. And then you have Doug, who was just this picture of pure innocence. And, you know, he had a moment where before I even met him, he almost died. Um, He was allergic to seafood. And they found that out in a pretty scary way. Um, And, you know, so 
I, I always see him and remember him as having this special appreciation for life, mm-hmm. even for the short time that he was here, because he knew how how quickly it could be over, I think. Um, sure. And just thinking of them in that way, and when I have my car rides to work or whatever, I, I still have conversations with them, and I still call on a greater wisdom or knowledge and sometimes I get an answer off and I don't um you know but just to say that look uh, on June 13th he would have been 25 and I feel like he is still turning that old in some ways you know be that him carrying his legacy through me the other people that he's impacted same with Danny and then, like you guys were saying, just recognizing that life is short. And then while we're here, do do something good, do something that matters. And I think that in a lot of ways, I, w- I wasn't a holistically good child. I don't think that I was the prototypical person that was going to go into philanthropy and nonprofits. Um, but, you know, I when Doug died, I made a promise to save the world. And I don't know what that meant exactly, and I still don't know what it means but I know that it was a promise that I've held very very close and just to think how much he still means to me and mm-hmm. you know just when I think about him I think and, and Danny I, I think about them as at least part of them still being here and it's nice to hear you say that they're in a happier place I sure hope so and I hope I think about it every day getting to see them again um, but until then you know just making good in the world yeah, it sounds to me just like they're angels to you right now, and there's nothing wrong with that. There would only be um, concerns if it was interfering with your life, but it sounds like your perception and purview on their leaving this earth is actually healthy. It's benefiting you. And, you know, sometimes we have to understand people die for a reason we will never understand. People will die for a reason we'll just never get it maybe after this life but not in this one our brains don't have the capacity to understand what god at least as i know him has in store he's saying listen i got this trust me just wait get on with your life do something good talk to you later i got another client you know what i mean (laughs) so you know sometimes you just gotta again roll with it but jess i think um that's an awesome explanation of someone who is still with you, although not physically. And that's okay. I'm assuming you're not hallucinating. Of course, I always got to go back to my clinical. But I'm not, you know. unfortunately. <laughs> I would love to see him again in the flesh, but no, no such thing. But yeah, it's okay. It's very spiritual. Okay. I, I hope you guys don't mind if I share like a memory and the name of the person who I was talking about, because I felt like I got so emotional I was lost in the sauce it's all good uh, (laughs) my friend's name was Vincent Glass and I just want to share this funny story it's kind of really funny so (laughs) me and him and another one of our friends were all at his my uh, friend Jabari's house Vincent Glass he uh, was sitting on the bed alongside of me him and Jabari were arguing and in the middle of them arguing Jabari was cleaning up his dog poop with a shirt Nice. And he's arguing with Vince, and actually the poop <laughs> flings across, gets on my jacket, gets everywhere. And that's like one of the funniest moments. It was funny in the moment, but it was so disgusting in the moment. It was but, a little shitty. Yeah, it was a little <laughs> shitty. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a memory that I never will forget, and I just wanted to share that, lighten up the mood a little bit. Well, I like that, John, and, and I'm glad you said that as an example because humor is so, so, so important. Now, there's a time and place for it. But it is huge. And, and we know clinically that humor is the one thing that sustains us in a different way than any other emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, it creates dopamine in our brain that makes us feel happy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so humor is important. So there was nothing wrong with that shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Can I add one funny story about Doug? Because I sure. thought about this a few weeks ago, had forgotten, but... So there was an old Sixers player when Allen Iverson was playing named Larry Hughes. Oh, yeah. And Doug named his goldfish Larry Hughes. (laughs) And it just cracks me up that there's a goldfish. Like, a lot of people don't have names for their goldfish. Mm. 
And Doug's name, his his name was Larry Hughes. Maybe it's not that funny to anybody else, but I just think that it is hilarious. Could he dunk? That a little, the, 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 the goldfish? <laughs> yeah. Well, the goldfish officially, had you hours. figure he can dunk. <laughs> He's in a dunking yeah. position. I just thought that it was so That's funny. awesome. All right, I have a funny story then. You have a funny um, story. So my aunt, she would listen to old school music at night, like DAS and 103, whatever station it is now. And she loved the song by Tina, Tina Marie and Rick James, Fire and Desire. Mm. She said, can y'all play this at my funeral? Her daughter said, no, we're not playing Fire and Desire at your funeral. She said, well, why not? I want to hear that song while I'm going home. <laughs> and it was so funny because it was just like, it's so outside of what her religion was, but she was just like, I love that song and I want to hear it going home. And it was just so funny to everybody else, um, to the family. So Did they play it? No. Oh. Oh. Should have played it. <laughs> should have. We played though. it at the repairs. We couldn't play it. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. uh, Good story. Thank you, Barbara Smith. Honestly, normally we do housekeeping. I feel like this topic was so deep and so meaningful. I don't want to lose anything this podcast is conveying to the audience. So I think this is a great way to close this up. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Bernetta. Thank you, Jesse, always. And thank you for being patient with me, everybody. Mm -hmm. Have a great night. This is John Thornton from Northlight Community Center. Have a great night.